My name is Brian Jones. I want to welcome those of you who are brand new. We want to welcome those of you who are watching us online. 99% of the time when I'm preparing my talk for Sunday morning, I am so excited about what I'm going to talk about. I, I feel like this dog. Can you, can you show this dog right here? That's how I feel right there. But this week, show the other video. Can you flip it to the other video? This week, this is what I have felt like as I've been preparing my message and coming here. This is a dog that didn't want to get a bath. <laughs> All right, there, you can cut it there. Um, but I am here. I just want to let you know I've been dreading this topic all week because what we're going to talk about today is the most painful thing a couple can experience in their relationship. Today we're finishing a three-week series of talks called Three Easy Ways to Blow Up Your Relationship. We've been talking about how most relationships start with a bang and unfortunately most relationships end with a bang. And so we've been looking at the core problems that couples face every single week. Very first week, we talked about the fear of intimacy and how when we fear intimacy, we'll throw smoke bombs into the room to keep our partner from seeing who we really are. Last week, we talked about when we don't feel appreciated, we'll throw dirty bombs at our partner to try to pay him back. And today, what we're going to talk about is when we don't feel like our needs are getting met, we will drop a nuclear bomb on a relationship. And we'll start looking for someone else to meet those needs. According to the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, as many as 65% of men and 55% of women will have an extramarital affair by the time they're 40. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. 65% of men and 55% of women will have an extramarital affair by the time they're 40. I just want to let you know that, as a general rule, I don't trust surveys that give us statistics like that. Um, one reason is there are 325 million people in the United States, and it's hard to get an accurate picture of the behavior of 325 million people by interviewing 1,000 people. That's not a statistically significant enough sample. The other reason I don't trust these surveys is one survey told me that 78% of Americans believe Nicolas Cage is a great actor. <laughs> and we know this cannot possibly be true, don't we? Yes, he's had two good movies, like The Rock. Did you see The Rock? You know it was good because of Sean Connery. Sean Connery was in that movie. He had one other good movie, Con Air, right? Con Air was good because of John Malkovich and that chick from Parenthood at the end that he kissed, right? That's the only reason Con Air was good. Every, all I'm saying is that every clock that's broken is right two times a day. So we say that for Nicolas Cage. And I'm making two points. Number one, the first point is that people come to CCV because let's call it what it is. I'm the Michael Jordan of movie criticism, right? <laughs> I have my opinions about movies, and my wife knows that. We'll leave a theater, we'll get into the car, like uh, we'll, we'll debate you know, the ending of a movie. What did that mean? What, what, what was going on in that movie? She'll give me her interpretation. I'll share my interpretation. She'll say she disagrees, and I will say, oh, I didn't know you were the pastor of the movie church, okay? So, didn't know that. Carol, I told you we shouldn't be going to this church. All I do is talk about movies, right? My second point is this, is that you have to approach surveys with healthy skepticism. I don't know if it's 65% or 55%. 
I will tell you this, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that people who have affairs drop nuclear bombs on their kids, on their spouses, and on themselves. No one remains unaffected by the fallout of an affair. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. For those of you who are new, what we do as Christians is we will take the Bible, which we believe is God's instruction manual for how to make life work. We'll read a section every week, and then we'll talk about how it can make a difference in our lives. And so we're going to do that now. We're going to turn to a book called the book of Proverbs. And so if you want to follow along every week, if you're new, there are always carts where you can grab hard copy Bibles, or you can take your smartphone, and you can download our church app. You can go to the app store, type in Movie Church go to the Bible button on the top right, and you can follow along. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible, it's a collection of 66 books, and the book of Proverbs is like a long, long instruction manual from a man named King Solomon written to his son on how to make life work. Now, it speaks to everyone, and so if you're a female in the room, what I want you to do is, as I'm reading this, I just want you in your mind to change the language. Uh, From a a father talking to a son to a father talking to a daughter. It helps a mother talking to a daughter, whatever it is to help you, but this applies to everyone. What I want you to notice is that the first four chapters of the book of Proverbs, it's all about becoming a wise person and not being foolish. And then what happens in the fifth chapter is, all the way through the 31st chapter, is specific examples. And in the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapter, Solomon believed it was so important to talk about the issue of adultery and having an affair that he spent three chapters on it. It was the very first thing. After he talked four chapters of becoming wise, he said, now let me give you the most important thing you're going to face as a man and as a woman. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26 says this. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they'll speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. Keeping you from the neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he starves to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows in disgrace or his lot and his shame will never be wiped away. I'm going to focus on one line in that passage. And it's verse 32 that says, A man who commits adultery has no sense. Someone who has an affair isn't thinking clearly. I've talked to many people over the years that have had affairs, and they will use phrases like, I had no idea what I was thinking. It was like I was 
temporarily insane. All reason went out the window. It was like I was drugged. I wasn't myself. I was in a stupor. I don't know why I did what I did. And what they're saying is that they weren't thinking clearly about four consequences that we see in Scripture, four consequences of affairs. And I want to go through them one by one. The first consequence is when you have an affair, this person you're having an affair with will be just as imperfect as your current spouse. What you're not thinking clearly about is that this is a human being. Once the newness of this relationship wears off, there are going to be a lot of things you don't like about this person. The reason they're so cute and cuddly and winsome and exciting and invigorating is that you haven't spent the last six years picking their crap up around the house. You don't have a relationship. You have a covert hookup, which is happening entirely in the shadows. And the secrecy is giving you excitement and blinding you to what is actually going on. The fact is, everybody has flaws, and oh, you will discover the flaws of your lover very soon. The second consequence is your kids will hate you if you have an affair. Your friends will all say, our kids are resilient. They'll be fine. They'll get over it. I got over it. No, they won't be fine. They will be devastated for years. It will affect their self-esteem. It will affect their future relationship with their spouse. It will make them question whether they want to keep on living. And if you doubt that last thing, you have never been around a teenager when their, ki- when their parents are going through a divorce. You're willing to do that because of a fling? What did the woman say in the, in the video? You're a selfish, childish, egotistical, self-centered And you can finish the rest. When you have an affair, here's the thing. Your whole family has the affair. You can't separate yourself from all of the other people in your your extended circle. When you have an affair, your spouse has the affair, your parents have the affair, your kids have the affair, all of your family members are having the affair. You're dragging everybody into it. And you're thinking, I will keep it secret. No, you won't. There's a third consequence. Having an affair is like lighting yourself on fire and hoping it burns your spouse. Your spouse isn't meeting your needs, so you're going to get back at them, so you're going to have an affair. Not that all affairs stem from revenge, but all affairs stem from selfish behavior where we definitely hurt the partner. But the thing about the affair is the person you hurt the most is you. Just talk to people who have had an affair. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Have you ever walked with a Christian that had an affair six months later, nine months later, 18 months later? The struggles. Trying to put your life back together. Trying to get your spouse to trust you, your kids to forgive you. Now at this point I realize there are a lot of people in the room who have had affairs who are feeling pretty bad right now It sucks every time you're reminded of what you did, and you're wondering when we're going to get to the part where God makes everything better, and I feel better about myself, and I get a big hug from Jesus. We're not going to be there for a while. Because the fourth consequence is, when you have an affair, God will judge your sin. Churches never talk about this. 
They lie to people through their teeth. A lot of people think, ah, it's just an affair between a man and a woman. No, an affair is between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, or a man and a woman, their family and their God. Whether they believe in that God or think there are going to be consequences, do not evade the consequences. Listen to these two verses. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother and sister in the Lord as a Christian. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you about. Now, a lot of you that have been Christians, you're thinking, well, that's Old Testament. That's like, you know, God in the Old Testament is like my angry, strange, drunk uncle. These are actually New Testament passages after Jesus. Both of these passages were written to Christians in the early church who were in the middle of affairs. And Paul was warning them that if you don't get out of this affair, God's going to judge you. Now, undoubtedly, someone is sitting there thinking, are you telling me that if I'm a Christian and I have an affair, God is going to do something harmful to me? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God is going to do terrible things to you. This is what these verses are saying. I can tell you that this is true from watching this from a distance 30 years as a pastor. Churches lie to Christians all the time. I'll just forgive them and move on. You don't understand that there is someone else at play in what's going on here. When Christians have affairs, God judges them. Our passage, Proverbs 6, 27 says, Can a man scoop fire in his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? The answer is, of course not. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. That's just what the husband or the wife or the kids do to the person that's cheating. The passages I just read talk about what God is doing on top of that. But there's one thing we can do that is afforded to us through the gospel, and that is repent. Repent is an old English word. When it's used in the, in the New Testament scriptures, it starts out in the book of Acts, metanoia. It's not just the changing of the mind. It is a complete change of direction and behavior. It's changing everything. Repent and be baptized, Peter is saying. Repentance means if we break off the affair and ask God and our spouse for forgiveness, that will prevent God's judgment from occurring. Now, specifically, you might be wondering, what exactly is God's judgment? What will God do to a Christian that has an affair? Honestly, I don't know. It's different in every situation. We do know that in the New Testament that there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira that were caught in sin, and God killed them. I mean, literally killed them. Acts chapter 5 says, 
At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died, and then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard about these events, those of you who have been cheated on, you're like, eh, that seems fair. Now, I would argue, and most scholars will argue, that that situation had more to do with the apostolic authority of Peter and the miracle working power that was granted to the apostles, and that's why that happened. We don't find since then that God is in the business of killing people in the middle of church services. Um, But Romans chapter 1 does tell us what judgment looks like for people living in 2018. Take a look. The first chapter of Romans in in verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. And then it says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies to one another. It's the Greek word kata alasso, which simply, simply means in 2018 street languages, God let them do what they wanted to do. In other words, God's judgment is that he will let you keep doing the thing that you want to do, even though he's putting up barriers and stop signs and signs and sending people your way and people begging you to stop. You will keep doing it. And that is God's judgment. People will think, oh, I got caught having an affair. God is judging me. No, no, no. A Christian getting caught having an affair is a sign of God's mercy. A Christian having an affair for six straight years and never being caught is a sign of God's judgment. God's judgment is that he will allow you, despite all the ways he's trying to get you to stop, to purposely choose to screw up all your future relationships, all of your kids' future marriages, and all their kids' future marriages, because you're a prick. God's judgment is that he will allow you to wreck carelessly other people's lives for generations for a fling. That is much worse than getting off scot-free and having God kill us dead. You get to watch for years the the painful, unfolding consequences of your selfishness played out in the lives of those you love most. That is God's judgment. Numbers 14 says this, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, doing everything possible to get you to stop. But if you choose to keep going, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. How? He lets you do that. Punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. How does that work? That works because your grandmother had an affair which affected her daughter, your mother, And your mother either hated her for it or she had an affair herself, just like her mom. But it distorted her understanding of relationships and what she modeled for you, which now affects your relationship, which now affects you modeling to your children 
what a healthy marriage looks like, which then affects what they model for their children to the third and the fourth generation. That's why the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse, verse 31 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The good news of Jesus is that broken, sinful people can avert God's wrath and break the cycle. You can be made new, but it is only possible through repentance. Repentance is breaking off the affair and asking God and our spouse for forgiveness. And then the promise of forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what I want to do right now is I'm not going to embarrass everybody in the room, but otherwise what I would do, all of us right now, we would all fall prostrate on, the, on our faces right now on the floor. That's what we would be doing right now because I'm going to lead us as a congregation through three prayers of repentance before God. So in your heart, you can sit there in your seat or in your, in your body, but in your heart, your face is on the floor before God as we're going to mouth these prayers together, okay? Here's the first prayer. God, we repent of the affairs we've had in our hearts. Every single person in this room has had an affair with someone, some physically, a lot just in their hearts. But there's no difference. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Right now, I want you to tell God that you're sorry, that you have been unfaithful to him, that you have broken your marriage vows in your heart with someone else. Tell God that you deserve his judgment, that you deserve the full expression of his wrath, but that because he showed that full expression of his wrath to Jesus on the cross, you now plead for forgiveness. Here's the second prayer that we're going to pray as a congregation. God, we repent for not having clear safeguards in place. Every single person in this room is going to places and doing things in their lives that every person in this room needs a checkup modification or a complete overhaul. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Yet Christians in this room go to places after work and spend time with people that they know they shouldn't. They allow themselves to linger in conversations at work and in the neighborhood, at the gym, and different places with people that they're tempted by going on business trips without clear boundaries, setting up meetings with people they're attracted to that they know they have no business meeting with alone, talking about their marriage problems with someone of the opposite sex, staying friends with former boyfriends and girlfriends on social media, using their phones to watch pornography, having social media accounts that their spouses do not have full access to, Time that is unaccounted for. Phones that their spouses know nothing about. God, before you, we confess that we're sorry. That we have been unfaithful to you. That we are stopping these things today. 
that we have broken our marriage vows in our hearts with someone else, that we deserve your judgment, that we deserve the full expression of your wrath. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, the gospel gives us the ability to be forgiven. And so we plead for your forgiveness. And finally, for those who are right now in the middle of an emotional or physical affair, God, we repent for affairs we're having right now. We ask for your forgiveness for our selfishness, for needlessly putting our families in harm's way, for seeking the counsel of people who aren't Christians, who are simply going to help us justify in our mind our selfish, sinful behavior, for the way we parade our sin before your eyes, for the reckless disregard for the consequences of our behavior. God, we repent before you today. We will break off the affair today. We repent that we have broken our marriage vows before you, that we deserve your judgment, that we deserve the full expression of your wrath, but we plead for your forgiveness. That is repentance. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness. And oh, I feel good. Jesus did his thing, and I can go home. Repentance is stopping the behavior, then asking for forgiveness. How it's possible that Christians have been in this room as we've talked about marriage and love relationships and yet stay hardened in their hearts in the middle of an affair is simply a testimony, honestly, to how broken we all really are. I'm not singling you out. But I am going to tell you the truth. You know I'll always tell you the truth. We started a church before we moved here, and, uh, and we poured our lives into people. Started this church, and when God called us to move here, we were like, I about had a nervous breakdown. I was like, I can't do it. It's like having a kid and then just giving it to someone else to raise, which is... But we felt so good that we found a pastor to come, to come in. And, but I got, I got a phone call about six months later that he had an affair with our daughter's former dance instructor. And uh, he resigned from the church, told his wife and his kids that we're going to reconcile, we're all going to be good, drove up to upstate Michigan, so he could live with his parents, dropped her and the kids off, and then drove back home. I wanted to kill him. But no matter how much anger I felt towards him, God's love is still available for him too. That may not be my sin, but I certainly have others as well. So the promise of the gospel this morning is that you can change, that you can be made new, but that's not going to happen without repentance. And so if you've got nothing out of this series, hopefully you've gotten this. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Everybody is going to tell you to throw in the towel if you're in the middle of an affair. You literally want to kill him. You want to kill her. I'm telling you, you can work this out. 
There are people in this church that will tell you, it sucked. You can work this out. Your marriage is worth saving. Do not throw in the towel. Do not go to counselors who aren't Christians. They'll tell you to throw in the towel. Your family members are going to tell you to throw in the towel. I'm telling you right now, your marriage is worth saving. God is going to tell you to fight for that relationship no matter how hard and terrible it is. You're going to give it a fighting chance because it's worth it. You're worth it. Your kids are worth it. Just a moment. We're going to watch a video of some people in our church. And uh, some people that are real role models around here. Now, their issue wasn't this issue of having an affair. We just thought we would show some pictures of people who are here who have gone through some hard times and simply wanted to tell everybody in the room, whatever you do, don't you dare give up because it's worth it. I'll be kind if you'll be faithful, you'll be sweet, I'll be grateful. Cover me with kisses, dear, lighten up the atmosphere. Keep me warm inside our bed, got dreams of you all through my head. Fortune tellers said I'd be free, that's the day you came.
we've been saying throughout this whole series that all relationships begin with a bang. And we're convinced they don't need to end with one. So friends, we love you. We're here for you. If you would like prayer today, stop by the prayer corner in the back. And for the rest of you, just have a great week. Invest in one another. See you. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, go to happinessable.com.